Shut up and sit down. version of the intro and I was like why is it still playing because it was the two minute version I was like okay and then, and then I had to find it to to turn it off anyways um hey <laughs> I um I uh I got a sneak peek at my cover for um my new merman book today uh because there was a question and I'm super excited about it and you guys will see it um, as soon as I have an official copy. Anyways, um, um, tonight we're going to do Canon Divergence, and we are going to do it. We're going to Canon Diverge tonight. Started on that, we do have some, some housekeeping stuff. and put Jilly on. Um, today I'm is your Julie. last day to... Oh, wrong one. Hey. Yeah. Hey. Hey. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. It's going to be one of those nights, you guys. It's going to be one of those nights. Hey. Um, hello. Yeah, we have to do some housekeeping before Jilly starts crying. Um, <laughs> Why are you crying? Oh, God. Because people keep sending half their rough drafts. Oh, okay. Uh, quantum bang. So quantum bang submissions on rough drafts are open until it is no longer the 15th anywhere on the planet, which is around 11 p.m. tomorrow for me, Central. I don't know what time it will be for you guys. 11 a.m. Um, just 11 a.m. 11 a.m.? 11 a.m. Yeah. So if it is... The 15th in your time zone, you still have time to submit. When you are submitting, you must submit your manuscript and your art claim summary. You can't just do one. You have to do both. Stop making our life hard. I'm so serious. Yeah. Yes, please, 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 please send both. Um, most of the people that I've contacted already have um, gone in and done their form, but I keep getting more rough draft submissions with no art claim form. And there's no way to put you in the rough draft, to put you in the art claim without the information like warnings and pairings and fandom. And I'm not going to, you know, read somebody's story to kind of try to glean that information. So, um, so, but, so, so I'll just I'll start you, doing you, your job. It's yeah, not complicated. Really, it's not even rocket science. No. But also, folks, remember, this is just the art claims. You don't you, – you can still participate in the challenge until the 28th of May. That is the date that the final drafts are due. And if you haven't finished it by then, you are implicitly no longer part of the challenge. <laughs> so so don't you don't need to tell us. 
You can ghost us. We you can't. You can. You can. You can ghost us if you want to. Um, so you've got till May 28th to write. If you want art that somebody has really noodled on for a while, it's due today. If you want art that somebody does quickly, it's due on May 1st. If you don't care about the art, it's due on May 28th. Those are your dates, folks. Uh, if you don't have enough to turn it in yet, which would be 40,000 words, you can turn it in on May 1st, and that would be um, for, the, for the late art claims. And that would be, you know, authors or artists who are willing to try to do kind of something a little quicker. So you might not get as much art or art that is complicated or whatever, but you will get something. So we'll slap you together something. It just might not be as awesome as it could be if you met the first deadline. Yeah. Cause okay. some people are going to be hand drawing art. So we're, we're trying to give them plenty of time to do their digital magic. Some people are going to be, you know, People have all different kinds of approaches to this. Um, I know we have at least one video person signed up. Um, so we just try to get people for the um, for the main art claim, which is we do, we do it so early so that they have plenty of time with your story to be inspired and to get the work done. But we give them we have a, we have a shorter art claim later, so that's all you got to do. Those are the dates: three fifteen for for the for the big art claim, we kind of do a mini art claim on the first of May, and if you haven't finished by April by May twenty eighth, you are implicitly out of the challenge. And we'll see you okay. next year. You can start up in August. It'll be great. Yes. Okay. You can still so sign up the again. Second, the the second housekeeping is um, rough trade. Rough trade sign ups close. Um, I'll leave it open until tomorrow afternoon. Like if it's fifteen in your time zone, you have until then to sign up. And remember, you must sign up with your title and with the link to your um, to the sequel challenge. Um, for those of you who have not gotten your uh, email notification saying you have contributor status, I'm just waiting until I get the last of them and do them all at once. I've done about half, and the other half will come tomorrow afternoon. Okay, so just keep that in mind as you're doing your as you're doing your thing. Um, and I think that's it. I think that's all we had for. Yeah. 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 I think so. I don't want to actually clean house. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> so, um, uh, let's get started. Uh, do you have a fandom in mind? Because I was going to let you pick. Well, um, I like to, well, Canon Divergence is really appealing in a, one of my ranty fandoms. And right now my ranty fandoms are Teen Wolf and MCU. Um, we, I've been kind of into MCU lately. Where are you with that? I'm, I'm good with MCU because um, I don't know enough about Canon Teen Wolf to really participate in that kind of conversation because all of my information I've gotten on Team Wolf has, has literally come from fandom because um, I've only watched like 10 minutes of the first episode of Team Wolf. So, which was, which is enough <laughs> for most people. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. I I did, I did wind up watching other episodes so that I could do research, but man, it was like, it was, that, that's how dedicated uh, I am to trying to get some right. And, 
I admit some stories I'm like, well, I probably should have watched the whole second season to have gotten this stuff right, but I just can't. <laughs> I can't do it. Okay, so let's do MCU. Um, uh, la, 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 la. So, your unicorn MCU was Bruce Banner. Um, He's my unicorn, but my fandom, the person I would always include in an MCU story would be um, Tony Stark. Stark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's my relationship unicorn. Like, you know, Banner. It, Banner's like of all fictional characters, Bruce Banner's my favorite. I just he, he's not like a. I don't ship him with anybody really. I mean, I put him in a I put him in a story with, with Tony, but I I don't know that I really call that shipping it. You know. So. <clears throat> so. Yeah. I would have to say, really, that my unicorn MCU is Tony Stark. Um, if I had to pick a second one, a, a second character that I'm really enamored with, um, beyond the fact, you know, beyond the vagina crush I have on Mbaku, Mbaku um, <laughs> what what is what is that? Am I the only one that had ovaries clenching? And I mean, I, I don't even what I don't oh, even understand no. what that was. It was just <laughs> like. The minute he appeared on screen, I was like, oh, wow. He barked. I, have I, I, quivered. I, I actually quivered. It was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh. I don't even. Oh. In a theater, I went, oh. And my husband looked at me like, what? <laughs> I'm like, shush. <laughs> don't, don't, don't interrupt me right now. I'm having a moment. <laughs> Me and my vagina just kind of just got a just a simultaneous crush on Mbaku, and every time he barked, and when he told Martin Freeman to shut up, be still my heart. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I don't even wait. What I mean, I, I just I can't even explain it. I don't know what it is about him. I don't even. I, I just have no clue. It's all very primal, and and I want to climb that, and just I don't got to be in charge. I just want to be on top. <laughs> Anyways, um, so yeah, so for me, Tony Stark would be my choice in the MCU for um, um, basically anything I want to write. He would be my he, you know, he's my unicorn. Um, I like some some. I I would like to really explore Gamora one day. I think she'd be really interesting. Um, and she's from Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, let's see. Um, if I, I would ever do something, if I would ever do something like Black Panther focused, which I don't know that I would, but I wouldn't mind bringing Okoye into a significant role because she was amazing. Um, and we all like Darcy, of course. Um, and. Um,
sometimes I like Loki and sometimes I don't. I wasn't a big fan after the first Avengers movie, but he grew on me through the Thor movies. So that was... But how about we work on a Winter Soldier um, Canon Divergence where, you know, Natasha and Steve don't fuck the universe. It would have actually been better if they had literally fucked the universe versus doing what they did. Yeah. That that for me was like when everything just started to Winter Soldier just started kinda of wrecking everything for me. Um I like Bucky but I kinda he's a difficult character to for me to work with as a writer adjacent to Tony Stark. So that takes some work. Um which can be done. Uh but it's it's not as straightforward as some other stuff. Um but there, the places that I would typically am the most interested in doing canon divergence in the MCU would be either straight after the end of the Avengers or even earlier in the Avengers movie um, and then Winter Soldier. Um, I, have, I, I don't know that I would really position a story that wasn't, I don't know, time travel later in the franchise because I just have a really hard time getting past the Winter Soldier stuff. Difficult to, to think about. Um, so we could do canon divergence in the Avengers or in the in Winter Soldier because Winter Soldier is more about would be more about preventing what happened. Um, okay, there's whereas, a moment. There's a moment when Steve recognizes Bucky, and. But what if that moment happened sooner? Like he sees the Winter Soldier before that? Yeah. Because they come head to head in the helicarrier when he's trying to disable them. And he recognizes him and stops fighting. He can't fight. I thought he recognized him on the street. Was it the street? Um, because he he stops fighting him on the helicarrier, and I thought it was because he realized who he was. I mean, I mean, I only watched Winter Soldier once because it infuriated me so much. Yeah, it's on the street when he realizes that it's Bucky. Um, on the helicarrier, he was I'd never really trying very hard to fight Bucky. He kept trying to talk him down. So when does the fight in the street take place? It's after Nick Fury is supposedly killed, right? Okay, so Bucky recognizes Steve on the helicarrier. Now, on the street, that's after Nick Fury is supposedly dead, but before they've... So Bucky, he, he, and if, Bucky, he and Bucky fight. What if in that moment? On the street. Steve recognizes the depth of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s betrayal. You cannot convince me that S.H.I.E.L.D. didn't know that Bucky Barnes was the Winter Soldier. No, I agree. I call 100% bullshit on that. 
So here's Steve face-to-face with his best friend, who he believes is dead, who's working for Hydra. What if, in that moment, he goes to Tony Stark? I like that place of divergence. Because Steve would have been already deep into, he's already been in a way betrayed by S.H.I.E.L.D., even though he's still kind of not sure which way he's going to jump. But he would be, um, I think he would realize the depths of the betrayal at that point. He would no longer trust Nick Fury. And he probably wouldn't trust Natasha, because didn't she tell him the legend of the Winter Soldier at that point? So he might instantly, he might even confront her right there and say, did you know that the Winter Soldier was Bucky? And the question is, did she? But I don't know how she couldn't. Because she knew. Um, she'd seen the Winter Soldier before. Wasn't the now, Winter Soldier at the Red Room? Yes. Yeah. That, yes. yes. So she had so there's no way she didn't know it. But here's the thing. Okay, so up in the thing... Um, Someone said that um, Natasha would say no. Well, here's a here's a here's a thing. Um, Natasha's only ability to control Steve is mental. She can get in his head to fuck with his emotions, but physically, she doesn't stand a fucking chance against Captain America. Not in the MCU. Now, in comic book canon, Romanoff had had the um, super the super soldier serum as well. But this version of um, Black Widow doesn't apparently have it. They've never mentioned it once in the MCU. Now, she might. The thing is, is at that point, the betrayal is so huge that he would walk away. Mm -hmm. How can he trust anything else out of her mouth ever again? Nothing. He wouldn't. Because Steve Steve made a lot of really critically bad decisions because he trusted Natasha. Was there ever any explanation for what was going on with Tony Stark during that period of time? No. Not that I'm aware of. It did seem kind of like a odd thing that Fury would die and and um and he was just uninvolved and unconnected. Especially since he's the one who designed the helicarriers. Although he's not apparently the one who designed the Quinjet. Because there's go there's apparently a um a version of the Quinjet in Captain Marvel um that Shield had before Tony was ever involved in Shield. That could be Howard Stark's baby, though. Yeah. Yeah, it could very well be that he was recovering from the arc reactor surgery. They written the removal of it. So even if Tony's still recovering from surgery, 
um, I think he's at this point in this point in canon he would make himself available to Steve. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so Winter Soldier takes place two years after the Avengers and one year after Thor the Dark World. So where is Iron Man 3 in that? I have an MCU. (laughs) I have an MCU calendar. MCU timeline. Yeah, they... The stuff I have, I, I don't, I don't really ever do anything with the events of Iron Man three, so I kind of. Okay. Um, Mandarin. Okay. Okay, so we have Avengers in May of two thousand twelve. Gamora is collecting or trying to collect the orb, an infinity stone, in November of that year. So that's Guardians of the Galaxy 1. And also in November, the Aether comes to Earth, which is Thor Dark World. In March of 2014... Sam Wilson meets Steve Rogers, thus all the stupid events of Captain America Winter Soldier happen. So, let's back up. Where the hell is Iron Man 3? Okay, okay. So, okay. January 2012, um, the Mandarin incident happens with extremists. So, that's Iron Man 3. Um, And then... Captain America is dethought in April. Then we have Avengers in May. No, Mandarin no, Iron I, Man that, 2? No, that's something screwy because um, this is from Collider. Mandarin is Collider is having have, Collider's having a moment because Iron Man 3 should be after the Avengers, not before it. Right, it should be. I, according to the the timeline I'm looking at, Iron Man three is the is the movie event that happens immediately after the Avengers, um, and then Agents of Shield kicks off, then Thor: The Dark World, um, because so in where one of the Agents of Sh- Iron Man three be? Iron Man what three, date? my guess is it's probably in 2013 sometime, but maybe late 2012. So let me see if I can. Um, Okay, the Mandarin, um, the first Mandarin bombing occurred on April 1st of 2012. That would, have been, that would have been before the events of the Avengers, but the Mandarin bombings were going on while the, no, or the, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, so the Iron Man 3, the events that took place in Iron Man 3 kind of bookended the Avengers. Some of it started 
before the movie, which the Mandarin came in to rose up before the movie. Then you had the Avengers, and then Tony Stark was dealing with um, the events of Iron Man 3 and the all of the extremist stuff right after the Avengers. So, um, so okay, it, he would have been healed up then by the time Winter Soldier took place. Yeah. Yeah, that's like, yeah, there's plenty of time for him to have healed. Um, It looks like it was in December. December of 2012 is when most of the events of Iron Man 3, Stark's mansion was destroyed on December 22nd, 2012. So the Winter Soldier stuff is in 2014, correct? Yeah. Um, Sam Wilson meets Steve Rogers on 331-2014. Okay, so that's... And that's, uh, that's the kickoff for Winter Soldier. That's 15 months. Tony Stark was not still, still healing from the surgery. So the question then still be, still remains, why... In the world was Tony uninvolved when everything started going to shit and people started getting killed right, left, and center. Um, uh, they didn't clearly, want to pay Robert Downey Jr. Want to, to pay... be in the movie. Right. That's clearly <laughs> the real reason is because they left a big, a big continuity issue because they didn't want to pay for him to be a, to do a cameo or anything. Um. So it, it does, but it, it always was a continuity issue that Tony Stark didn't get involved in those events. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that it would be completely reasonable because Tony would be living in New York at that time, which means he's not all that far away because his mansion was just destroyed. Well, not just destroyed. It was destroyed 15 months prior. That it was the tower, not the mansion. So he could actually... Um, where do they show him living in the next movie? I th- they've rebuilt Stark Tower. Yeah, they repair Stark Tower. And it's in 15 months. Is that kind of money? He could have rebuilt an entire fucking tower in 15, in 15 months. So... Yeah. Well, I, no, the thing is, I'm not trying to look for actual reasons to keep Tony out of the story. We're looking for reasons to pull him in. And there's nothing in canon that indicates that he couldn't have been brought in. Um, I don't, yeah, we don't want to keep him out. We want to bring him in. So we're going to go with the assumption that 13 months is long enough for him, for him to have recovered from surgery, especially since he was also exposed to extremists during that time. He used extremists to pull the arc reactor out of his chest. Yeah. I mean, Tony Stark did get involved in, in some degree, to some degree. There's allusions to that in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. after S.H.I.E.L.D. imploded. Um, many of the people wound up working for Tony Stark. So um, there were there were implications that he was doing something, uh, which is where I think that Fanon comes from, that Tony Stark, um, there's a, quite a few, there's, there's a trope out there where Tony Stark is 
instead of dealing with Steve, it's like he has, to, he has a choice between dealing with Steve or dealing with the data dump, and he's dealing with the data dump and trying to, like, I've, I've read several stories that have this, where he's trying to, like, isolate um, the information as much as he can when, once he becomes aware of what's happening and trying to rescue all of these agents who have been burned by the data dump, which I find to be, like, a really interesting plot, plot line to, to work with. Um, but I like the idea of, of preventing it from ever getting that far because that certainly was the moment that made Natasha completely unre- irredeemable because she knew what she was doing and burned her and burned her own comrades, probably yes. not for the first time. Yeah, so no, but yeah. Um, but Steve, Steve's willful ignorance became a really big, big issue there. Um, But yeah, I like the idea of, of him at that moment just completely disengaging from her and walking away and reaching out to Tony because that's a that, that's a really but that doesn't... he does so much to keep Bucky. And if you look at the psychology of Steve Rogers, I mean, it's just really easy to see why. Bucky was literally the only thing he had from his old life. Mm-hmm. That was it. That was all. That was all he had. All of the people that he was in war with, they were all old. They were either they were dead or dying, or too old to remember him. Or you know, but there was Bucky, young and fit, but not himself. So it's like. It's like a gift from on high to get his childhood best friend back. Yeah, especially with everything that because Steve had done so much for Bucky already. I mean, he was very focused on Bucky in the in the first Avenger, and I think losing him, you could almost make a case that Steve was extremely depressed when he went into that. That he was grief ridden when he when he went to deal with the Tesseract um, and he crashed that plane. I don't think he, I don't, I think, I don't think he dealt with Bucky's death at all. So he went into the ice with that grief fresh for him and he woke up and it had to still be there. And then shield from my perspective, shield kept him deliberately ignorant of the world he was in. He had no assistance with acclimating to everything, to the time period he was in. Plus, um, he had just come out of a I mean, for him it was like a blink and he's he's in a new place where there's not a war going on but still all that stuff was still fresh in his mind the fighting the war he just lost bucky i mean all of that stuff was there and he had to have felt very um lost just completely lost and i think that he just focused on trying to work and work for shield and um, stay busy, and then I think that everything sort of fell apart when he realized that Bucky was still alive, and I think he became fixated. But the, yeah, because he's like a, he's thought out just a couple of weeks before Avengers takes place. He's had two, mm-hmm. three weeks to assimilate the loss of seventy years 
in the life that he thought he was going to live. Then he's thrown into a battle where the outcome could mean the planet. Losing that battle would mean losing the planet. Not a bunker, not a map around a map, but the entire planet would have fallen to the Chitauri had they not done what they did. And then S.H.I.E.L.D. continues to throw him into one mission after another. Boom, Mm -hmm. boom, 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 boom. So it's almost exactly four weeks from the moment that Bucky dies to the moment Steve goes into the ice. And then three weeks later for him, he's fighting the Chitauri. Right. So seven weeks he has had to deal. He's had to. He, I, I wouldn't get over the death of the person I was closest to in the world in seven weeks. And to have I all that grief falling on him and all of that battle all that death, and then to see him on the street play right, it's written right, that could be the moment when he breaks mm-hmm. and he looks around and he thinks to himself, who's been lying to me and who hasn't? Oh, well, you know, honestly, Bucky's the love of Steve's life. Even if it's just friendship, even if it's just platonic, James Barnes is the love of Steve Rogers' life. It doesn't have to be about sex. I mean, it's fun if it is, but it doesn't have to be. I mean, it is like, like with McKay and Shepard, for me, even if they're not together um, as a couple, I do feel like that they are... Um, just kind of soulmates mm-hmm. beyond any kind of physical or sexy thing. They're just soulmates. And that's how I feel yeah. about Harry and Hermione as well. Um, even if it's not sexy, and it, I, I prefer that it be sexy, um, that it's that look, you know? And I had that with my husband. We are very attuned to one another, and we can have an entire conversation with a look. We aren't allowed to be partners in games with people because um, they think we cheat with our eyeballs. <laughs> you know, so it's a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. So, and I think that I think that Bucky and Steve have that. They have that thing, um, whether it's um, platonic or not. Uh, I do. Ch- I do tend to ship Steve and Tony pre-Winter Soldier. Um, I like it a lot. But I also, I like the idea of um, Bucky and Steve, you know, coming back together after so many years apart and there's so much trauma they can get over together. <laughs> it's it's very, it's it's lovely. <laughs> so I like the idea. Yeah. But I think that in that moment, that Steve would reach out for the one person who's been excessively, disgustingly, obnoxiously honest with him, and that would be Tony Stark. It would. Tony be. never tried to get on his good side. He never tried to to manage him or um, befriend him. 
And there's also the connection of Howard, because as much as Bucky is Steve's solid foundation from the past, Tony is a connection to his past through his father. Tony might not appreciate, but I can see how Steve might kind of, if given the opportunity, clamp onto that, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and he would, I think that it would also, if he's starting to question, he might start to question a lot of things, like the narrative. He's like, that maybe he doesn't know much about Tony at all outside of what he's been told by S.H.I.E.L.D. And if he's starting to distrust S.H.I.E.L.D., it would logically follow that he would question what he's been told about by, about other people. That's true, Dart. Howard did help Steve save Bucky the first time. So why wouldn't he seek out a Stark again? Mm-hmm. I, I like the idea of um, Steve going to Tony and saying, this is what I've been told. This is what I've seen. This is what's going on. I need your help. Tony looks at um, Steve looks at Tony and Steve Howard because if he did, I think he would trust him more. I think Tony looks, I mean, Steve looks at Tony and sees the picture that um, N- Natasha painted for him. Mm-hmm. And it's not a good picture. No, because one of the first things he says to Tony is, I've seen the tape. He, he, had, he had made a complete assessment of Tony Stark without ever having met him. Who gave him that information? It's not like he Natasha. was getting on Google and checking out on, into it on his own. He didn't even know what Google was. So someone crafted a narrative and fed it to him, and he woke up and trusted S.H.I.E.L.D., and so he trusted the things that were told to him. And the thing is, the funny thing is, based upon, I've seen it kind of like in fic sometimes, where people are like, well, you know, say, well, you're nothing like Howard, da 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 But based upon what we see of Howard in, young Howard in the first Avenger, his first impression of Tony Stark should have been a lot like Howard. Yeah. He should have been thinking, oh, you're just like your dad, instead of going the direction of you're nothing like your father. I think that he trusts S.H.I.E.L.D. because S.H.I.E.L.D. woke him up. Mm-hmm. S.H.I.E.L.D. got him on his feet. S.H.I.E.L.D. rescued him. I don't think it has anything to do with Peggy. I'm not sure if he even knows that Peggy and Howard started S.H.I.E.L.D. But if it is because of Peggy, then it could also be just because of Howard, because Peggy and Howard started S.H.I.E.L.D. together. Huh. Okay, Lily, we need I need a link to that. <laughs> so 
I think I think that that moment on the street, him having just that sort of shocking moment of awareness about I've probably you know realizing he's probably been lied to that he doesn't that he he would have to wonder who can I trust? That's Bucky out there. Who can I trust? And because I think he would know he couldn't do it alone. And if he's if his if his trust in Natasha is broken. There, I don't think there's anybody for him to go to except for Tony. In the chat room. Um, where Steve sees Bucky for the first time. And that's the moment. That's the moment because I mean, it is—it it has to be the moment in, in Winter Soldier where if you do, if you do, it, if you do a, a canned divergence in Winter Soldier, this is the moment to do it because it's really powerful. And he's—he's he's so overwhelmed he can't even move. Yeah, he just lets himself get shot at, basically. Absolutely shock and awe, disbelief wrapped around soul-crushing hope. He's just so... It, yeah, so if you take that moment and you send him to... Yeah, he would be angry. And so after this scene, she tells him the story of the Winter Soldier or before? I thought that they knew because the Winter Soldier had first come after them at the apartment, right? And he chased them on the rooftop, if I remember correctly. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought that was first. And I thought he then heard the tale of the Winter Soldier and then the confrontation on the street. But I've only seen the Winter Soldier once. So my my cobbled together recollection of events may okay so someone's saying that she told him before that confrontation on the street that um about it so so yeah so she, so, she okay. tells him so the tale in that him. moment he's seen bucky why the hell doesn't he turn to her and say did you know Because that wouldn't have gotten them the data dump that they wanted. Um, did you know? First, did you know? And I think he, if he sees that she tries to lie, if she freezes, because she's she's hurt there in that scene. So if she doesn't react quite right and she doesn't lie convincingly, he's going to immediately distrust her and walk away. Of course, for this idea, I mean, to write a story like this, I'd have to rewatch the Winter Soldier. But this is a much better reason to watch the Winter Soldier than I had watching it the first time. <laughs> Thank you, Lily. I don't agree. I don't see Natasha trying to kill Steve. Um, Nat- Natasha is a 
is a long-term planner. I think yeah. she'd be more and likely to let him go and try to re-establish dominance later. Yeah. And she's also a survivor, so she's not going to get herself in too deep on something if she doesn't think she can come out on top. And if she, I don't think, she, I think she would know she wouldn't be able to get, um, and also come she's out on not top. And, just, she wouldn't be just picking a fight with him because, um, Falcon is there too. Yeah. So, and Falcon, Falcon's going to help Steve. He's not going to help. And he, he is, Sam is a good voice of reason as Steve is trying to sort this out, what's going on. Of course, he doesn't have the same, not as, he's not, um, he's not loyal to S.H.I.E.L.D. I mean, his, his friendship is, is for Steve. So he's going to be the one to say, hey, if you can't trust her and you can't trust S.H.I.E.L.D., who the hell can you trust? Is there somebody you can trust? Yeah. She did try to kill Steve. Um, you would not make me believe anything less than her death in response. Because um, she's no match for him in MCU. He could break her in half. If he didn't let her go and let her run. But no, I don't think she's the type to pick a fight she can't win. Or she assumes that she can't win. And she's not dumb. And you don't pick a fight with Captain America. It's kind of like picking a fight with the Hulk. Yeah, it's just you're not going to win. It, or, well, I would rather pick a fight with Captain America than to hold. But well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I would pick a fight with either one of them. But um, given the choice between the two, I think I could probably talk Steve down quicker than I could the Hulk. <laughs> probably, yeah. Um, and Sam would be an interesting person to give Steve perspective on the on the on the on the future that Steve wouldn't have. Because if Steve starts raising questions and says, but we have to deal with this issue with the um, helicarriers, with this Project Insight thing, Sam could go, but in, in this age, the person who's the best with technology, the person who, you know, I feel like Sam was crippled by lack of information in that movie. Um, and if Steve had presented and said, I don't know who to go to because we still have this problem, I don't think I can trust S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, and he says, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if I can trust Tony Stark. And and Sam could go, you have a way of getting in touch with Tony Stark, really? If you have a way of doing that, why are we even sitting here talking? Because that's who can handle this. Right? Also, speaking of Hulk, if there's anybody that you need as your wingman going in and dealing with Hydra on those helicarriers, it was Hulk. Word. <laughs> you don't even need those little things. Just put Hulk up there. Tell him to smash yeah, it's it. Like, They're it's all like going, going down. Bruce, you know, we've got, like, Nazis, you know, that are getting ready to kill millions of people, and we need some we need some muscle power. He'd be like, I'm in, man. I got this. Hulk would like to, Hulk would like to come out to play. And, you know, <laughs> it 
could even you could even use Hulk to be the one to help contain Bucky. It's like Steve explains that Bucky's been hurt really badly, and they have to capture him and get him help. That he's like because Bucky is one of the you know he's this, he's one of the Serum Brothers, right? You know, I think Hulk would understand that, and you could have Hulk be the one that captures and contains Bucky. This would also actually be a good time to temper Hulk. To make him, to make Hulk part of the team versus Bruce. Because I think one of the reasons why Hulk is so difficult to control is because he doesn't have any control. He doesn't have any say. Mm -hmm. But if they treated Hulk like a member of the team versus somebody they just had to manage in order to keep Bruce around, I think that it would, um, you could, you could write that in such a way that it would be um, believable. Because we know um, that Bruce and the Hulk, we know that the Hulk is perfectly capable of having a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, a lot of the stuff that happened in Thor Ragnarok just confirmed our, you know, sort of headcanon about Hulk. Which is that he's there and that, you know, he... he it's always been my headcanon that when, he, when Bruce lets him out deliberately as opposed to getting so angry that Hulk is able to bust out, or basically Hulk is having to bust out to protect Bruce is what happens. But when Bruce lets him out on purpose, he's a lot more in control because his emotions aren't, you know, running away with him. And that's, we saw clear evidence of that in Thor Ragnarok. So I think that would be a lot of fun if you could bring those two together um, and um, give Hulk his own value as part of the team. Um, it would it would really uh, it would be great. It'd be really interesting and fun. Um, but I like the idea of of Steve. Um, the thing about Steve, even when he's at his worst in the MCU, is that. When he decides he's loyal to something, he is loyal to it to the fucking end. Well, what if in that moment the loyalty that he was kind of cultivating and and building for Shield was in it was shifted and targeted on Tony Stark? Well, that'd be a good thing for everybody. And you have a lot of things, a lot of disasters that get averted. But I could see Nick Fury coming out of hiding sooner because he'd be trying to get control again. Because for all that Nick Fury basically and stayed in hiding, he, he still stayed in, he was still kind of in charge. But see, that, that would make it even worse because he would come out of hiding, right? And then he's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, what, is Colson still alive too? Oh, wait. <laughs> Colson is alive. And just like, okay, Jarvis, could you just throw these assholes out of our tower? Our tower? Yeah, it's our tower now. <laughs> Go with it. It's our tower. <laughs> it's ours. That's a big A audit. Every... <laughs> Sam, pick out a room. 
<laughs> We're saying. Because, yeah, I mean, it's like a betrayal. It's like, it's like one more. It's like one more on the pile. That is so much fun. We should totally do this for November. Um, yeah, I'm really month? digging this. <laughs> I'm really digging this a lot. Oh. Kind of um, keep our plot separate so we don't end up writing the same thing. Um, but I think that would just be that would be a really cool um, thing for November for us just to have him look at <laughs> Natasha and go, "What the hell? What fuck? What the fuck? What the actual fuck?" <laughs> Is that right, Sam? Yeah, yeah, that's right, baby. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, and I've been, November, I've been really in the challenge for uh, Rough Trade is just Canon Divergence. It's called um, the challenge is called the Divergent Path. Um, and Jillian and I made a um, half-assed agreement a few weeks ago to write from the same prompt. And that's where those one-sentence prompts have been coming from that we've been playing with. We've been testing the field just to see how far apart we end up when we start with the same idea. This one is a little bit we're, – we're, we we're getting a lot more specifics but for the start of the prompt. But on the other hand, it's also novel length as opposed to, you know, one sentence building 3,000 words or 5,000 words or whatever. Um, but it's really cool. I like this idea a lot. Also, but I'm also kind of really enamored with the idea of Shuri and Thor traveling back in time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's not Me so too. much Canon Divergence as it is time travel. <laughs> it's fixing the hell out of everything. <laughs> it's a fix it. Damn it. It's not a bet. It's the challenge. We are challenging ourselves. Well, if this is going to be our November thing, um, we had an hour left. Let's let's pick another one to do in more detail. Okay, another one to do in more detail. Um, let's do a different fandom. Let's see. Um. Do you want to do another movie, or do you want to do another uh, or TV show, TV series? I am currently writing a short for Hawaii Five O and NCIS Mothership. I am guess too. It is. Mothership in the um, we're not Mothership in the fuck out of things. We are. Um, it's the next sentence prompt, and you guys will get it after we finish our experiment. Um, and um, I have named my fix. Way the hell out there. What did I call it? Um, way the hell out at Pearl. All the way out. Way the hell out at way Pearl. The hell, yeah. Way the hell out at Pearl. And if you don't get that, you don't deserve to. <laughs> yeah. We, as soon as I saw it, I went, Pavarotti. <laughs> Pavarotti. And it wasn't even Pavarotti. <laughs> no, it wasn't Pavarotti. Again, but that's actually... If you don't get it, you don't deserve to. <laughs> Like, how old are you and where have you been? <laughs> Go to bed. past your bedtime. Um, anyways, so, yeah, that's what I called my fic, and I really amused myself with it. Why the hell out at Pearl? Yeah, that, that, that is, that's just gold. That's, that, that is 
And what fandom could you do that with other than Hawaii Five-O? It was like it was begging for it. It really, it was. It was. It was absolutely 100% begging for it. So um, I don't know enough about Team Wolf to do that. Um, what did you pick? What did I pick? Didn't you pick one? For what? The next thing. Oh, I said, do you want to do a movie or do you want to do another TV show? Do a TV show. Oh. Do you want to do another movie or do you want to do a TV show? Because if you want to do a movie, we could do one of the Hobbit movies. If you want to do a TV show, we could do um, getting Tony to, to the island for some epic mothershipping. Um, well, my favorite Canaan Divergence is actually this for Hawaii Five O. John does his champ line at Steve, and Steve hears a gunshot. And then he hears Tony Genozo say, Hey, Steve, your dad's okay. There's a dead guy in the living room. Do your job. I got this. Click. <laughs> That's my Canaan divergence for her wife, I know. <laughs> I got no no problems with that at all. <laughs> Then Steve comes home and hugs his daddy. Then he hugs his man. <laughs> and they all live happily ever after. <laughs> now, see, in that one, you could, you could, there's two really good flavors on that, and they both have a different appeal. One is that um, Steve and Tony already know each other, and Tom, but Steve doesn't know Tony's there. And the other is that Steve and Tony don't know each other. And it's yeah. a stranger who saves, who saves his dad. Um, maybe because Tony's transferred to NCIS in at Pearl, and maybe because NC he'd been tracking Victor Hess and followed them to John McGarrett's house. We have a whole podcast dedicated to dead air fixits. Right, literally a whole podcast. <laughs> yeah, we did a dead air variation, but you know there are never, of course, there are never enough dead air variations. We actually we had some really good ideas out of that, but I'm like, how come I haven't done anything with some of those? Like, um, the whole idea of um, didn't we have an i an a uh, an idea where the SGC are the ones that get involved? I'll have to go back and listen to that podcast because I'm pretty sure we should tell totally we had that podcast. We should use that yeah, podcast as a prompt and just tell people to here go listen to this podcast. And write 5,000 words. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, that's interesting, Ellie. I, I approve. I think it's really interesting. <laughs> I'm, I'm all up in it. I definitely approve. Um, we did have one where Tony actually... Um, I thought you were actually working on this one where Tony's actually killed in the events of Dead Air, but he's not killed. He doesn't die. He ascends. Yes, I, and I am working. I did start that, start working on it while well, I plotted it and got some, like, scene notes and stuff written. And then he ascends, and the um, the ancients can't deal with him, and so they dump him on the SGC. Like, we can't deal with this guy. 
Fuck, we're kicking him out, but we can't just kick him out back to here. He's yours. What the fuck? Um, I'm trying to draw the connection between those two characters. All right. All right, Liz. Lane. <laughs> you mean... You mean temperance, Brennan, right? When you say bones? Oh, tra- oh that bones. Okay. Man, I was like... <laughs> I went to the wrong bones. And I was like, I really don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you do oh, no, mean yeah, Star Trek. Oh, no, she does mean Star Trek. How the, how the, come, come on, girl, get, get us there. You gotta, gotta explain. We, we, I'm so curious. I, Lucy, you just got a new name, Lucy. Um, yeah, we, <laughs> we, I rarely get this curious about one sentence. <laughs> uh, yeah. That was, I think that was the podcast where we also applauded the variations where Gibbs shows up. Just, yeah. you know, like he's just like nothing, like nothing happens. Gibbs just comes out there and he's like, what's going on? What the fuck are you two doing? Where's Sony? <laughs> I like the idea of Gibbs just deciding he was going to um, take Tony's place. And uh, they don't realize that it's Gibbs now instead of Tony. And Tony goes back to the car and realizes they're not listening. And right as he realizes they're not listening, he hears a gunshot in the background, in the distance. And they have no idea what's happened because they don't have the recording on. Yeah, yeah. Gibbs being there, is there something very appealing about him? I think it's because him getting slapped in the face with how, with the failures on the team is, in a way, for me, kind of really satisfying. What? As I would, I can't threaten you with a good time, so I'm not going to put you in the corner. But no, Kate, Steve, no matter how drunk he was or loot he was from drugs, from being kidnapped, he would not put on a cape because he is smart. No capes. No capes. Just the dress. Actually, I think I think your punishment should be to go write that. <laughs> we shall await it. I will be sure to make you a banner. Good luck. Sequins and all. I'll, I will put that sequin dress on him for you. But no cape. But no cape. Standard, man. Standards. I have hives all over one thumb. I find that, I mean, I'm glad that the area is small, 
But I just find that particularly weird. <laughs> I have hives just on a thumb. Okay. <laughs> harsh though I'd never seen that gift before um but um yeah I mean so uh movie or you know one of the most uh canon divergence I think in fandom would probably be um from the Battle of the Five Armies um or the Hobbit if you prefer the book over the movies um um yeah and so everybody lives I think is probably the biggest freaking tag in the Hobbit fandom (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I agree. He can find um, a cape with a toga. You just want something, you know, kind of on your back that, especially if it if it's like tied around your neck. That's just somebody call OSHA. <laughs> it's just a work hazard. <laughs> Edna was very clear on this. Um, but yeah, I mean, so if I'm gonna pick a movie, uh, since I've never watched Harry Potter movies and the epilogue doesn't exist anyway, um, for me, I mean, I'm gonna do Canon Divergence over the summer with The Terminator and with Aliens, um, in my campaign to save Michael Bean, um, and, uh, because because reasons. But yeah, and and. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the July and the July thing is good practice for canon divergence because it has to implicitly be canon divergence because you're not allowed to rewrite the whole movie. You're just it's changing the rewrite. ending. Yeah. To, to some to some measure of the ending, there's been some questions about like how much can I change? It's like, well, you go back as far as you feel like you need to in fifteen thousand words, um, <laughs> right? <laughs> Because you only got 15,000 words. I'm doing a, a, a three-act structure on my two stories. So each one will be about um, uh, 5K each. So that's my goal. <laughs> I am... Um, let me see. I think I think my... my I, I picked my first one immediately, which is Chronicles of Riddick. And I'm thinking about doing... What was the first Hobbit movie called? Um, a Journey, A Journey, um, Journey. Unexpected Journey or something like that? The Unexpected Journey, yeah. Okay, so I, I'm thinking about doing An Unexpected Journey as my other one, I think. Or maybe it was, no, I think it was the other. Yeah, not Desolation of Smog. It would be it would be changing the end of Unexpected Journey. So, because they're already at the mountain and stuff. So that would be the point that I would write it different. And I think I was thinking I would do my um the Arkenstone is a dragon egg thing. That Bilbo picks it up and realizes what it is. And negotiates with the mountain Yay! that he'll that he'll he'll plant his dragon baby if he um agrees to leave the mountain when the baby's born. And I'm gonna have that be that that's why Smaug is so angry. It's because he doesn't think that the he doesn't think that that the egg is viable once it's brought out of the stones. That the dragon's supposed to hatch nat- naturally, um, and that's why he's so mad at the dwarves. Is because in his mind they murdered the last dragon. 
And that's what I was going to call it was the last dragon. You totally so. should. I'm 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 on a hundred percent on board with this. Yay. So that was my going to be my um, other project for unless something just really captures my attention, because I said my backup would be picking one of the MCU movies to write a, write a new ending for, um, but I'd really wanted to try because I've I've written a lot. I'm writing. I definitely knew I was writing MCU for April, and now I'm looks like I'm writing MCU for November. So I'd like to rather not do MCU for. Um, yeah, July is always or pretty much very recently, like the past couple of years, we need two or three stories. And this year it's two stories. Um, minimum word count is 10K. Your maximum word count. I'm, I was about to tell a lot. I don't actually know. Let me go over there. <laughs> I just I just opened it. It is 10 to 25. 10 to 25K. Um, and we're, we split it between two weeks. Uh, so you get two weeks for your first story and then two weeks for your second story. But I'm going to start my uh, Terminator right before they are supposed to go into that building. They're not going to go into the building. Um, and then I'm the going to start... The building where he dies? Yeah. That building? They aren't going in there. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then, because that's also where um, the company gets the arm that starts the that starts the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but, and then I'm going to uh, aliens. I think shortly before. I don't know if I want to start it like right right before Newt falls and to not have her fall or if I want to start it after she rescues Newt. Um, like, like I did that short on uh, – um, I have a short on my site where uh, where Ellen um, spaces the ship, the drop ship, um, mm-hmm. and she uh, she disconnects the computer – so uh the so the company can't redirect her and the ship and she arranges it so her and Hicks can wake up and leave the ship with, with Newt before it gets back to Earth. And that is a really short short that I wrote and it ended there. But I kinda wanna expand on that idea. Um and that um and that maybe she puts Hicks and Newt in pods but then she uses um oh, I think maybe I want her to find the egg and to kill it. That would feel really satisfying that she did a thorough search of the ship and figured out what had what was going on. And um then she realizes just how fucked she is and she kills the egg. And she doesn't go to sleep. She plots a new course. She takes the ship. She steals the ship. It'd be really interesting. I have a couple of different plot ideas for it, but the but the end result is is that Michael Bean's character is going to live <laughs> in my Save Michael Bean um, campaign. 
the Sean Bean that, of the 80s. The, it is the summer of saving Michael Bean. Yep. We're doing writing sprints in um, on the on the Just Write server, Senna. And what it is is you have 20 minutes to write, and then you take a 10 minute break, and then you have 20 more minutes to write, and then you take a 10 minute break, and you keep going until you're done um, for the day or whatever. And people have been sprinting pretty much um, every day since every. we started doing sprint, um, which it's been it's been a month for this this weekend. Tomorrow it will be one and month, so- four weeks. And some people are averaging four, five, six thousand words a day on the regular. Yeah, there are some people, yeah, there are some people who I see sprinting almost every day, if not every day. Um, and um, some people have gotten their QB done by getting in and doing sprints. Uh, we'll be running them all through the challenge. We'll probably actually be trying to be, you know, a little bit more um, organized about setting some specific times when we know people will be in there right now people you know get in there and they want to sprint they do which is fine you know if you show up you should sprint if you want to Um, but we'll probably try to set up some blocks of time during the challenge where people will know there's going to be somebody in there running sprints um Yeah, I mean it's actually it's it's very productive to see you guys in the in the sprints. It's it's really nice, um, and um, so absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I like the idea of starting starting the Battle of the Five Armies. Um, if I could pick a divergent point for the Battle of the Five Armies, I'm thinking about the book events because I've not actually seen the movie because I can't make myself watch it, even though I do own it. Um, it just breaks my heart to think about it. I just, I can't. I watched The Destiny on YouTube and cried like a baby. My husband thought somebody I knew died. He freaked out. Are you okay? He's patting me. I'm like, <gasps> and then finally he looks over at my, and he sees the computer and he says, I was watching. He said, for fuck's sake, and leaves. <laughs> Leave me to my grief over fictional characters. It's <laughs> oh. very sad. I'm very sad about it. Okay, so um, I think based on what I remember from the book events, I would um, I would not have Bilbo give the Arkenstone to Bard. But I don't know what I would do after that. Because the thing is, is when when he does that, he does more than um, betray um, Thorin. He violates his contract. And contracts mean a lot to Goro. To the point that Thorin made even his own nephew sign contracts. So... Yeah, that's a, a interesting point. I so you I, you'd have to do something else to deal with the um, 
um, Arkenstone, the uh, not the Arkenstone, the um, the gold sickness. Because that's the real issue there is that the reason what you have to deal with why Bilbo did what he did, which was that Thorin was consumed with gold sickness. Um, I just posted, if for anybody who's not in the rights writing server, I just posted the invite link to it. Wow, we have almost 130 members already. What the hell? I know. It's so I weird. Hadn't, I hadn't I wonder, even noticed. I wonder how many... I wonder how many I got. How would I look? Uh, you've got 119 plus 31 plus 4. So 35 plus 119. So 154. Did I add that up right? Well, that's cool. Yeah, there we go. 154. Um, well, we could look at the a page out of Black Widow's book and give Thorne a cognitive readjustment. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was a really good idea. Because what if, what if Bilbo just got really pissed at Thorne and just threw the Arkerstone at him and hit him in the head? That'd that's be very funny. Tracky. As that's for you. We that's have plotted this can of divergence for you. Is for you, but no, I mean you know, I do have um, a plot point in one of my in one of my Hobbit fix where the Thorin where the Arkansas is actually sentient, and it knocks Thorin loose from the dragon gold sickness. What is and the Arkansas in small magic where he is where the Arkansas is the root of the curse? But um, I think it's Which interesting I love. to kind of play. I love that. I was I was really proud of that. I was really proud of how I worked that out with that whole Saruman thing. I was like, yeah, look at that. That's I some slick shit. Because sometimes you just think and you're like, oh, look what I did. <laughs> now it is my head cannon that I wrote the I wrote the creation stone into um, Sentry. It is my head cannon that the creation stone looks an awful lot like the Arkenstone. I just see it in my head that way. So, um, a cognitive recalibration. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Just, just knock the shit out of him. Um, you could, if you've got a sentient um, Arkenstone, you could do that. It communicates with Bilbo that the reason why the Arkenstone is willing to let go of its curse on them is because of promises Bilbo makes. Bilbo could communicate with it when he picks it up. What does Bilbo promise it? Well, it could have. It could be a variety of things. It could be promised to. Um, it could be a promise to plant the next during the Deathless. That could be a promise. Um, it could be a promise too. But I would think it'd be probably something more along with the land. That because um, it's the Arkenstone. Because that's part of the reason why the Arkenstone is annoyed with the Durans or annoyed with the Dwarves in general. Um, what if the Arkansas really cursed? is the heart of the mountain? Yeah, because what if it is about you know the the mountain that there's no balance that there that you know they need to revitalize the land that that the 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 mountain is out of balance because of how it it just well because of what they of the maybe the mining became excessive or 
Hmm. Kind of has to be something that doesn't make the dwarves not be dwarf-like, though. I think I think it has to be something. It has to be a sacrifice. Um, it has to be a sacrifice that he makes. Maybe this. Maybe the Arkenstone is enamored with him um, because of his green magic, and he agrees to stay in Erebor if the Arkenstone will stop being mean to the Durants. <laughs> Yeah. If you stop being an asshole, I'll stay. I'll make the outside of the mountain beautiful again. Sinna. <gasps> what? What? Look at the chat. Uh, I, you know, Sinna, I never thought this day would come. You take your cute little ass and get in the corner. <laughs> corner. <laughs> oh. Corner. Here you go. I would have her, if I have to answer, answer this question, I would have Ziva to redeem Ziva. I would have her volunteer to go onto that ship to meet with Pin Pin, what's his name? And she dies in the explosion and Gibbs never gets amnesia there redeemed I like but I wouldn't write it the idea of Bilbo making a sacrifice or a promise um, to the Arkenstone to free them from the curse I would love to hear um, oh my god you're in the corner why are you still talking um I would love to see I would love to see Thorin's reaction to to Bilbo to uh, to Bilbo's sacrifice cuz the thing that it has a beautiful symmetry that if he has to stay in Erebor because one of the things he says to them in the movie that I did watch is the reason that he came back the reason that he's with them is because they don't have a home and he does but what if in returning their home to him to them he loses his permanently because he has to sacrifice it he has to sacrifice his home to save them the la- the, the life he's known in order to give all these dwarves back their life and i think bilbo's the kind of person who would do that because he did that to begin his only adventure to begin with even not knowing if he would survive it to give them a home And of course, because I ship it, Thorin would fall 100% in love with Bilbo on the spot. Boom. If he wasn't already. like He's like halfway there. It would have been like... <laughs> She's like, my sound yeah. effect. <laughs> um... I have I have um like a whole bunch of world building. Um Um I have a whole bunch of world building for a story I call Yavanna's Bless, um, which is that certain hobbits carry the magic of the Shire in them, that the magic that allows them to be basically safe and keeps their lands growing well or you know, keep keep keeps intruders out, but it is, it is specific hobbits or carry. And in that particular story, I plotted that they know they're the blessed. 
Um, but what if they didn't know who the blessed were? What if it was? What if it was something that never they they knew? Maybe they knew of them, but they had no way of identifying who. It could be part of why they don't want hobbits to leave the Shire, is because they don't want to inadvertently have one of the blessed that carries the magic of the land um, leave. What if Bilbo's one of them? And when he makes that agreement with Smaug, he implicitly is taking, bringing that much of the Shire to him. So let's say there's 20 blessed. One twentieth of the Shire has to basically come to him because they can't, they want to be, they need to be. He has the magic to support some large percentage of the hobbits. And maybe when he agrees, the land immediately starts changing. That'd be an interesting wake-up call for the elves, is if Yavanna is directly affecting um, the land around Erebor. Although I probably would want to do it before the battle. I like the idea of, of Bilbo's sacrifice. Um and I like the idea of, of him having some kind of innate magic that brings the Shire or part of the Shire to him. Um, and maybe, maybe that they, they discovered that, that that's what's supposed to happen, that they aren't supposed to keep them contained in the Shire, that, that when those hobbits leave and join Bilbo, um, it enriches what's left of the Shire because the, the carriers are supposed to spread out and not stay in one place because their job is really more about enriching all of Arda instead of just the Shire. I like that idea. I like that idea a lot. And they discover this because Bilbo's willing to make that sacrifice to give the dwarves back their mountain and um, a bunch of hobbits suddenly get want, you know, get itchy feet to, to travel, they want to travel all of a sudden. They feel the pull to go to Bilbo. And they could you know, even realize right at that moment what's happened. One of the blessed has moved the magic. And they realize in that moment that it's okay, that they don't. And, and that they're supposed that it to. Feels, and that it feels right that they're supposed to move some of that magic. Um, and maybe when they do move it, they get more than just 20. Like, what if yeah. when Bilbo's acceptance happens, like, two more hobbits in the in, in the Shire wake up? And they realize that by concentrating themselves in that space, that they're actually destroying their own potential. And some of them could even, you know, immediately travel... One of the blessed could get, an, an, like, an urge to travel um, west... And um, even though the, the, the Thorns people are going to be leaving, there are still dwarf settlements there um, that struggle with, you know, food and stuff. And the, and the hobbits go there and immediately transform it. And that that's supposed to be the way – they're supposed to be the carriers of Yvonne's magic, and they haven't been doing that. That's, that's a lot of fun.
I like that idea. <laughs> and Baggy and shows up right outside the mountain. <laughs> I like it too because it um it expand it it gives uh it gives Bilbo's um no actually I think honestly I think Lobelia would show up in Erebor. Oh, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Because Bilbo she needs to be... He lives born, uh, uh, Bilbo there by himself, right? Oh, and then he sets her loose on the dwarves. Like, whoa. Like, go tell them what to do. Quit bossing me around. <laughs> yeah, that'd be. I think that'd be a really fun idea to explore. Um And you could do it during an unexpected journey the first time that Bilbo or isn't that the first time he picks up the Arkenstone? I honestly don't know. I don't remember if he picks up the Arkenstone during an unexpected journey or not. I thought he did. Um, but maybe not. Oh, it's not till Desolation that he picks it up? Okay. So, um, is it before or after Smile gets Lose, you know, does his desolating. I'm making new verbs. I don't think desolating is actually the word. Who's getting a dragon? I think they're talking about Game of Thrones. Oh. I think Lady Holder's letting Yeah, because apparently it happens in um, the Desolation of Smog. He picks it up while he's talking to Smog. But I thought he was talking. The, the talking all occurred in Unexpected Journey, I thought. Did it occur in, um, in Unexpected Smog? Journey? I thought Unexpected Journey ends with them on the Karak. Oh, okay. So it's Desolation of Smog because it would be when he's – okay, so I, I, have my, I have my movies conflated. Yeah, okay. Okay, okay, okay. That would actually yeah, be I remember really interesting. I mean, we done a. There's somebody who did a really awesome divergence of um, when Bilbo finds the ring, and the dwarves figure out what the ring is, and they're like, "Nope, <laughs> this can't. Nope. <laughs> I guess we're not going to Erebor because fuck. Look, it's the damn one ring." <laughs> Yeah, he's like, oh, we got other things to do. And um, I, I read that recently. Um, the flying did you ship like is it? a miracle. Yeah, the flying ship the is a miracle. Uh, what's it called? Um, Something about not, not part, part of the plan. plan. I, actually, I, I actually, I still have like, I, I would guess five or six chapters to go. It's quite a long story. Um, and I have been really busy this week, so, but I do have, it would be in my recent history because it's what I'm reading right now. Um, that wasn't part of the plan by Mad Fairy. It's on AO3 and I am giving a link in the chat. And for those of you listening on the podcast, um, if you listen to the podcast within the next, I don't know, three or four days, you will find it pinned in the chat room for the podcast. It will be in the pins. That's a good idea. Pinning and if you link. aren't, yeah, it really is. And if you aren't 
um, on Discord. Well, A, why aren't you on Discord? And B, um, the author's name is Mad underscore Fairy, spelled F-A-I-R-Y. Very good story. Lots of fun. Flying ship's the best part. Well, I don't know. Feeling and feeling taking pot shots at orcs from the ship is, is too. <laughs> I, I liked it when they had all those, you know, the, they picked up the road builders um, to bring them because they were moving the road builders down the road to repair it so that the caravan could travel. And the road builders, mm-hmm. they all leapt from the ship with, you know, battle cries to kill all those orcs and stuff. I don't know why that scene stuck out in my head, but it really did. <laughs> it's just great. It's just a it's just a fun romp. It's just it's amazing. Yeah, it is well, I mean, Google. If you put in the title and the Hobbit, it's the first thing that pops up. That wasn't yeah, part of the plan. It, it, the Hobbit. It, it's over a hundred it's over a hundred and thirty thousand words. So it's it's it she the, the author calls it a lighthearted romp, which it is, but it is it is I actually, it, it, in that sense, yes, but I tend to not think of something that is, you know, epic length as being um, a romp. Romps to me happen in <laughs> 15K. <laughs> there were many I wasn't, romps in the story. I, I wasn't mad at it being more. <laughs> yeah, I'm not mad about it being long. There's nothing wrong with long. Um, I love me a good long story, but, um, yeah, it, it, it is terrible. I, I wish I had... I wish I had bitten that that bite off to chew when I had the time to just spend with it, as opposed to getting to read a couple I, of yeah. chapters at a time. It's very good. It is it is very good. Um, I enjoy it a lot. It's one of my favorite canon divergence for the Hobbit. But it's uh, that's also that's also a really good point to to think about um, the 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 divergence point um, where uh, Bilbo finds the ring, and I think you know one of the things that always irritates me, and even though I did it too. I totally did it twice. Um, in time travel fix, why does Bilbo always start at the beginning? Yeah, why doesn't he go? I mean, you know, if I was going to pick a, a point to go back to, if I was Bilbo Baggins, I would probably pick the Karak because the whole tree thing has happened. Thorin likes him. He has the ring. He can get them around the forest. They don't have to go through the forest. He can talk them out of that. They won't get held up by. They won't get held hostage by the king. I would go back to the point, um, slightly before that, when he gets the ring, and kill the fuck out of um, Gollum. Yeah, yeah. Um, then he has to go through the orcs in the tree thing. <laughs> Well, well, true, but, you know, he knows how that's going to come out. And actually, that'd be a funny way to start the story. In the prologue, he's talking to whoever's sending him back, whether it's Mahal or Yavanna or Eru, whoever's sending him back. He's having a conversation with them. And they go, so we're going to send you back. He's like, are you kidding? I don't want to go back to there. I'm not going back to the very beginning. Why would I want to redo all of that? Nobody died. Why would I spend three weeks on a pony in the rain again? (laughs) I don't. I don't want to deal with those. Do I don't want to get troll snot on me again. I, I've been there, done that. Can we please put me somewhere that's, you know, let's find a critical point to send me back to. Not, I don't want to redo the whole journey. That's crazy, Higgs. But in both my time fix, what I do? I went all the way back to the beginning. But you know what's really well, interesting? Well, now, now you've got a life goal. That whole 
throws the got- vine that's really offensive in the movie that Thorin throws at um, Bilbo. Looks more like a grocer. He doesn't say it in the book. Gloin does. Of course, in the book, Keeley is older. Oh, I didn't remember that. I haven't read The Hobbit since I was... Hmm. Well, it's been at least two decades, so... Um, I can't say that I was a teenager, but I probably was in my early 20s when I read The Hobbit last. Oh, yeah, yeah. That that whole scene with the marshes really kind of grossed me out, actually. <laughs> so, yeah. The descriptions of stuff so the in the body? marshes was a little, oh, that's just a little too good. vivid. Yeah. Wow, that was, the, author, yeah. The, the author really conveyed a lot in that, in that scene, Great in those scenes. Yeah, she's very talented. I'll give her that. Um, but I didn't need those visuals. No. I did like the idea of Sauron being a hoarder. I thought that was funny as fuck. Um, <laughs> yeah, that tower bullshit. Yeah, gotta look around. He got he got tons of crap. <laughs> he just takes things. Look at all the several. He keeps them. Just look at all. He's a freaking dragon. It was um, that, also is, that also is a really, really good example of someone really allowing these interesting ripples to happen based upon a simple change in direction. Um, because they allowed events to still unfold with the dwarves where the dwarves still weren't there. So, you know, the, the White Council still went to... The Dolgador is where they went, and um, mm-hmm. and the troll and the orc army all went to Erebor. Well, that things go very differently if you don't have a bunch of dwarves um, present for those events. So, um, and and so they, they the author followed the ripples of that really interestingly about what the outcome would have been of. Of especially the invasion of the 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 invasion of Erebor happening when the dwarves hadn't shown up to kill the dragon, so that was a really interesting. Um, I would I would definitely recommend it as a as a as a, a really interesting sort of case study about how to how to put ripples into a story and just kind of watch how they spread out and change things. I did not see her interpretation of some of the ripples coming, but it was still all very believable. And interesting. It's it's just a great story. Very interesting. Highly recommend. Yeah, I agree. The issue with with, with the Hobbit, well, yeah, two issues. The, the the sausage fest that is the Hobbit is a little inexcusable. Um, and then the other is the big issue with though is the Durin's die. So you get attached to these characters, and then they're all dead, and it's like. Oh. This is the worst, you know, coming home movie ever. <laughs> and speaking of love of your life kind of thing, um, I think that uh, platonic or not, that, that that's Thorin for Bilbo. Um, oh, yeah. I, I agree. Um, 
and there's never anybody else. Bilbo is alone until he adopts Frodo. Yeah. Because that asshole Thorn Oakenshield broke his heart. <laughs> That's right. That's what happened. I'm going to click on that. It better be good, Dark. I got your email. I will I will send you a cuss email if it if it breaks my heart. Is it time travel? Because I love time travel. Okay, it goes a it's a fix it. It goes AU. She says to expect anguish in in the tags. Dark anguish. It's one hundred eighty thousand words, and it says expect anguish. Um, before it's a happy ending, but expect anguish first. That's a lot of room for anguish. Oh, I've actually read this. I have not. It's very good. There is a lot of anguish. <laughs> a lot of anguish. But it's very good. It's very good. I'll have um, to put that on my list of my. I have a very long list of stories for when I'm in the mood for angst, um, and we all know how often that is. <laughs> yeah, put it on your list. Come up, because but it'll it'll kind of tear your heart out, but but uh, but then it kind of you know it, it puts it back together, and it's um, it's it's never quite the same, but it's 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 still good. Okay. Um, yeah. So I'll put, I definitely put that on my list. It sounds interesting. I really like. I like. I really like um, the trope of the One Ring being dealt with in the Hobbit timeline. Um, I like that trope a lot. Oh. Well, I may have to try that sooner rather than later because that sounds like an interesting pairing. Um, because I, I, I'm usually pretty good about skim. I can I can skim angst. Although the last time I got in the mood for a little bit more of an angsty story, it was a story. Um, it, typically, zombie stories are implicitly on my um, angst list because they usually are, have a lot of angst because a lot of people usually die. Um, and um, I just one day I went, well, I'm going to read that one. It's been on my list for a while. I'm going to read that one. And that was All In um, by Claire Watson. The, the Teen Wolf? Um, the Teen Wolf? Yes, which, has, which, which gave me one of my favorite tropes of recent times, which is Claudia as a tree, and inspired me to start writing Teen Wolf. So you never know what's going to happen when you go to the angst list. <laughs> Sometimes you ugly cry. Broke me, though. I mean, it... it... Oh, it did. It it completed. I I did ugly cry in that story. It was in the in the second part. I totally there's oh. total ugly crying. Oh, but it's great. But, but then you Fantastic. might get inspired to go write a story where Claudia is a tree. Right. So you never you never know. But I did ugly John's cry. But she did she did fix it. Noah, whatever. Yes, Noah Jonathan. Whatever. He, I think he, he Noah Jonathan something. He's very adaptable. Very adaptable. 
Um, my solution to the sausage fest of the Hobbit is to make Bilbo a girl. <laughs> it's just, it's just my. Thing. I can't get there. I can't get there. I it's can't a... make, I can't make Thorin a girl, because Richard Armitage. And I don't need to say anything more. But I can totally make Bilbo a girl. It doesn't bother me at all. Yeah, I Bilbo's my favorite character in the Hobbit, and I just. For good reasons. I mean, I would not expect a female version of Bilbo to be exactly like the Bilbo in The Hobbit. So Mm -hmm. because it's my favorite character and I'm very attached to him, the divergences that are necessarily there when he's, you know, in Always a Girl, it it just, I just, I hard stop on it every time. Um, As a writer or as a reader? As a reader. As a reader. Mm -hmm. I, I, I can't imagine I would write it if I freeze up about it like that as a reader. I don't know. Sometimes um, I have issues with something that um, I have no problems writing, but I have a hard time reading other people do it. Yeah, I mean, I could try writing it, but um, I'm just curious. Uh, I'm just curious what it was. Yeah, because it's it's quite a popular um, girl. Bilbo is quite popular in The Hobbit, and. Um, so I've tried quite a few from quite a few authors. I've tried reading Kira's, and I should, every time I just kind of go, "Ah, oh, that's that's not my Bilbo. I'm <laughs> attached to him the way he is." I also, for that reason, don't read extreme AU's of The Hobbit, um, where like they live in modern times and stuff. I don't like modern AU's. I don't. Um, I want ponies and orcs and trolls, and that's um, like reading Harry Potter the- without magic. If I want to read Harry Potter without magic, I'll read Teen Wolf. <laughs> there you go. Sort of. But actually, if I want to read Harry Potter without magic, I'll read Stargate because I'm I'm pretty much convinced. And I did read a story once where John Shepard was actually Harry Potter in hiding. Really? Yeah. Then I read one huh. where John was just weird. The hair. I read one and the green eyes. I just read one where John was a wizard. Damn. And he had to get his wand now, out at one point. He's like, "What? What the? What the fuck? Did this is do? <laughs> this is a weird thing." But I could, I would have an easier time making the most like half the company female. That because I don't feel like we have a really good insight. Um, canonically into into female dwarves. So I you could easily say that half of them are female. Bilbo doesn't know. They travel as men for safety reasons. Because human because, you know, men and elves are weird about gender. I would actually probably say that um you could write Ori and Seely as female um and keep it canon. Yeah, possibly. Because you only have Bilbo's assumptions that they're male. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. It could explain a lot towards Dory's protectiveness of Ori if Ori was female. And and female dwarves or the dwarves are very um are they're Rare. less populous than the males so 
um, that they would have some with them would. But the other side of it is, is that because they are so rare, would they really risk one on the journey? Well, it depends upon your, I mean, if they, if, if you write this as their society is that, that they go to war, they engage in the same trades and crafts as the males do, that the gender divide is not, um, um, that big a thing, could he even realistically tell one that, you know, she can't come? You can't come because you're a girl. I don't see female dwarves putting up with that. No, 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 not like, really. It's like, excuse me? But if Keely, now, hmm, questions with Deese, how would she feel about um, well, Keely? I mean, the Keely. real question is, and if, this is a question of logistics and the um, succession to the throne. In reality, Thorne wouldn't have taken his heir. He would have left Feely at home and brought Keely. Well, real logistically, yes, but that's certainly not because what Keely's happened. despair. Um, in the movie, Keely's despair. In the book, Feely's despair. Um, but he would have left. Realistically, he should have left his heir at home to yeah. preserve the 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 line. Except, it, although it could be that they felt like they had nothing to preserve. Um, yeah. But then their line was broken. I mean, it, it seems like it's an act of desperation that he brought so much of his family with him. Um, so, yeah. I could definitely do that with um, – and I think the reason why I stumble on it with Bilbo is because we do see more of a gender divide in it can, canonically with the hobbits. So mm-hmm. – um, we know what we know what the Hobbit's female is like, or to some degree, um, by references in the Hobbit and things that are said in Lord of the Rings. So it seems oh, like but in Lord of the Rings, be... Lobelia ended up kicking ass. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. I, I'm not saying that they're pampered little princesses. I'm just saying that um, I don't think. I mean, I haven't read a female Bilbo that didn't account for some differences in, in personality because of gender difference. And I think that that reads true. It's just not the Bilbo I want to read. So. No, Deez was not the heir. Um, when Thorin and his nephews died at Erebor, Dane became king. Dane was his cousin. Yeah. Although why that could be the- Gloin, I don't know, because Gloin was a cousin as well. And so, well, wasn't but wasn't Dwarn Dwalin, Dwarn Dwalin and Balin also related? Yes, they were all they were all Durans as well. But the direct line to the line of to, to Durin was through was through Thorin, uh, was through Thrain. So, um, but clearly they didn't allow for female succession. Otherwise, I I agree, Deese would have been the heir. Now you could you could write it that Deese was the heir, and that's why she didn't go. She had to stay in Erdlewin because she was the heir, and that maybe she declined it when her brother and her both her sons were killed, and told Dane to do it. That could be it. Actually, that could be an interesting on the road conversation between Keeley and 
Bilbo is um, Keely reveals that she's female, and and that you know, and then maybe they get to talking about that pregnancy is very difficult for Dwarrow Dams, and that's you know, you know that the, their populations are diminishing. And Bilbo could just be like, I don't understand why. It could be like a lack of understanding. And then Bilbo says, Why don't you just plant a baby? I could plant a baby for you. <laughs> And then have this whole discussion, and suddenly Keeley's totally on board. Well, when we reclaim Erebor, I want you to plant me a baby. I'm having none, <laughs> no babies of my own. They will be planted. It sounds painful. We're down to 90 seconds. I think um, it would actually be um, really interesting to explore um, time travel when he doesn't end up back at Bag End having to feed all those assholes again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think we actually stayed on topic the whole night talking about canon divergence. We did. We did. We, yeah. we all all of our ideas were canon divergence. I just shot you a double bird, Lady Holder. Double bird. <laughs> Say good night, I Julie. think there's four four birds in this conversation. Good night, everyone. <laughs>